but uh, when we start the book of Exodus, generations have passed, and no one in Egypt remembered Joseph and his faithfulness any longer. Uh, in fact, the Jewish population had grown so much that the current Pharaoh now uh, viewed the Jewish or the Hebrew population as a threat. And so the Jewish people, they've been made slaves. They are now uh, building the infrastructure of the Egyptian empire. And then Pharaoh makes this decree that every male Jewish baby must be thrown into the Nile and killed because he fears their growing population. And then it's there. That's kind of where we started the series. And we met uh, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. Uh, Jochebed refused to throw her son into the Nile, and she protects him. And then she builds a basket and sets him out on the Nile, praying that God would save his life. He was then, Moses, the baby, is rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh herself, who gives Moses back to his mom until he is weaned. It's an incredible story of God's faithfulness and the, the faith and love of a mother. In fact, it was uh, such a good story that we spent Mother's Day looking at Jochebed's story, if you want to go back and hear that. From there, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court until one day he sees a Hebrew being beaten and he kind of loses his mind and he kills the Egyptian uh, being beaten by the, or the Egyptian beating the Hebrew. Moses escapes in the middle of the night and he goes to the desert to an area called Midian. Moses then spends the next 40 years of his life in Midian as a sheep farmer. And it's during that 40 years that God uniquely humbles him and prepares him for the call that is to come. Moses spends his first 40 years in Pharaoh's court learning the methods of the Egyptians and then the next 40 years in the desert being prepared uh, and taught the things of God. And so it's there at the age of 80 that God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and ask him to let God's people go. Moses is all sorts of hesitant about the call, but he reluctantly, very reluctantly, says yes. And when, and when Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks him to let the Jewish people go, Pharaoh responds with a question that we all ask and that we all have to answer in life. And it is this question that the plagues are a gracious response to. Pharaoh asks the question in Exodus 5, 2. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And we talked about it, but this is the question we all have to wrestle with in life. Who is God and is he worthy of my life? Is he worthy of my trust? And so the plagues are God's merciful response to Pharaoh's question. And in the plagues, we see God quite clearly display his power, display his greatness. And that is in contrast to the Egyptian gods. And then we see God's mercy and grace as he controls the plagues and he stops them with even a hint of repentance. And there's times that it looks like Pharaoh's, he's figuring out, it looks like he's going to turn to God. But every time the plagues stop, he turns back to trusting himself and his ways. And we saw that so often that is our story. We, we turn to God in a time of need, but when the need or the trial goes away, we turn back to our ways and trusting ourselves. And so that's kind of where we are as we come to this 10th and final plague that the nation of Egypt will experience today. And this plague is a tragic uh, plague, but it is a quite clear depiction of each and every one of our spiritual states as sinners without Jesus. So we're going to read the story from Exodus chapter 12, and then we're going to see how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover and see that he is our only hope for eternal life. So we're in Exodus chapter 12 starting in verse 1. 
It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their newest neighbor, nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. We thank you for this reminder and this reality of who we are apart from you. God, we thank you that you and your grace and your mercy has, have provided a way that we can be in relationship with you. God, you provide a way that we can experience eternal life and experience your grace and forgiveness and mercy. God, we thank you that just as you provided a way for these, uh, these people in Egypt, you have provided a way to experience your salvation and your forgiveness. So, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today, Lord. I, I pray that you would give us the courage to respond as you call us to respond. And, God, I pray that you would help us to remember and to reflect and to give thanks for who we are in you. God, we love you and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So I think the first thing that we see in this passage and in these words from God is the seriousness of sin. Uh, in our culture, we kind of have a flippant, laissez-faire view of sin. We in no way take sin serious as a culture, but we see in this passage of Scripture and we see throughout the Bible that sin is serious and its consequences are real. This plague, this Passover, is not an unjust God exerting His power, but this plague is a holy and almighty, sinless God righteously judging the sins of the people. God is holy. He is perfect. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And, and sin, as we've said over and over, at its essence, is the rejection of God. And so it is good and it is right that God righteously punishes sin. R.C. Sproul said, a God who doesn't righteously and angrily punish sin is an idol of our making, not the God of the Bible. I think that's so spot on. In our culture, in many of us, we follow a God that is an idol that we have made up as opposed to the God of the Bible. Sin is serious and its consequences are serious. And we see that on display here. And throughout the course of the Bible and still today, the wage or the consequence of sin has 
always been death. That's our first point today. The consequence of my sin is death. Throughout the history of mankind, since the very first sin of Adam and Eve, we have always lived under the penalty of death for our sin, for our rebellion against God. And because of God's grace and his mercy for us as humans, he has always provided, he has always made a way so that we could be forgiven through the blood, through the death of another. In Exodus 28, God established a way for the sins of his people to be forgiven. Every day, two lambs would give their lives in the temple at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. for the sins of the nation. And every time a lamb died, a priest would sound the shofar, a ram's horn, and everyone would know that a lamb just gave its life for their sin. The people of Israel lived under constant awareness that the wage or the cost of their sin was death and the constant perpetual awareness of the sacrifice on their behalf. And then on the holidays throughout the religious calendar, the people would gather and they would sacrifice more or other animals on behalf of their personal sin. The Jews lived under this awareness that their sin meant death, either for themselves or for another. We, we are saved by by Jesus' one-time sacrifice, by his one-time death some 2,000 years ago. We don't have to see and hear the sounds of death day in and day out like the Jews did. And in that, we have often, I think, discounted the wage or the cost of our sin because it is somewhat distant. Even in Jesus' days, they would gather and they would remember God's faithfulness in this Passover event so many years before. And at the Passover celebration, the the lambs, they weren't hidden in the temple, but they would become present in the people's lives. Passover, this remembering of Passover was the most personal connection that people would feel between the sacrifice and their sin. Every year, for a few days, every family in Israel would own and possess a lamb. Every person in that family would know that the lamb was in their home and it would have to die for the sinful choices they had made that year. I mean, just kind of imagine this. As a family would prepare for Passover, these families didn't have flocks of sheep, so they would depend on the shepherds bringing the lambs to Jerusalem each spring. And then a few days before the holiday, as laid out by the scripture, each family would go and they would purchase a lamb. The father would bargain the price and he would purchase it. The family would bring the lamb home. Can you imagine the impact that would have on the home? The families would house the lamb for a few days. Children would pet it. Mothers would feed it. Everyone would hear and smell the lamb. More than likely, they probably tried to ignore that lamb because it was a condemned creature. But that was impossible. And that's what made Passover so different and unique. Unlike those daily sacrifices, which most people didn't see and hear, everyone lived with that lamb for a few days. And everyone knew why this lamb would die when the hour came. This lamb, even a child, would quickly come to understand, this lamb will die for my sin. The consequence of my sin is death, and this lamb will pay the price. I mean, there must have been a a nationwide just flood of tears over the loss on that day. But the wage, the consequence of my sin is death. That was, a, that was a quite an object lesson for, for the Hebrews at Passover. And they understood it was their sin that would cost that lamb its life. If they could look back on their last year and if they had lived that year without any sin, they could let that lamb go free. 
but because of their sin, it must give its life. They would feel, smell, hear, and face the reality of their sin in a way we just don't tangibly do anymore. Think about it, I think about it kind of like food. Right? In our culture, you can live your whole life eating chicken, turkey, hamburgers, bacon, and sausage and never make the connection with the animal that will give its life for your sustenance. Growing up, I lived next to my grandparents who had a little hobby farm. Right? And they always had five to seven cows, and every time a new cow was born, it would kind of go through the rotation of the grandkids on who got to name it. And during most of that time, we were in elementary school, so, so they were all named after princesses or sports stars. But it was such a good thing because we lived with the reality that that cow, that Otis or Ariel that we had named, that cow that we fed, that cow that we petted, would one day give its life to be the burger on the table. And that was the Jews in Jesus' day. They lived with the awareness of the wage or the price of their sin. I think we so often miss that because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus gave his life. I think that's what made like a video or a movie like The Passion so powerful. We saw the price of our sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wage or the consequence of our sin today remains the same. And that wage of our sin is death. So no matter how we may feel about sin, no matter how we may feel about a white lie, no matter how we may feel about what is done in secret or what may go unnoticed by the world, our sin has a severe price and that price is death. And it will either be paid through our death and eternal separation from God, or it will be paid by another. And by God's abundant love and grace, that another is Jesus. And we're going to get there in a second. Look at verses 12 and 13 real quick one more time. God says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. But the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God says, I will come and I will bring judgment for sin. But when I see that blood, when I see that someone has paid the price, I will pass over you and no plague will touch you. Note that God doesn't come to the house and check their merit badges. He doesn't come to the house and check their synagogue attendance. He doesn't check their giving receipts. But he comes and he looks for the sign of the blood. And if the blood is there, then they are passed over because he sees that the wage, the consequence has been paid. But if the blood is, if the blood is not there, then righteous, proper judgment ensues. We see that God in his grace has made a way. And the same is true of our hearts. When God looks at our hearts, he either sees our sin or he sees the blood of Jesus and his righteousness and his sinlessness. Right? This is what, this is what theologians call substitutionary atonement. We've been pray, we have our, sacri- or our sin, our wage has been paid by Jesus. So the wage of our sin is death and God in his grace has always made a way for forgiveness. The other thing we see in this passage is that all of us are guilty of sin and all of us are in need of saving. Throughout the plagues, there were some plagues that only struck the Egyptians. There were times that God in his grace and in in a display of his might protected the Hebrews from the consequences of the plagues. But in this case, when he is judging sin, all were guilty and thus all were under judgment for sin. It didn't matter if you were Egyptian or Hebrew, all had sinned and were under the consequence of that. 
And whether Egyptian or Hebrew, a way had been made for those sins to be forgiven if you simply in faith followed God's instruction. So that's our next point. All are guilty of sin and all are in need of saving. This tenth plague is not just an indictment on the Egyptians, but it's for the Israelites as well. The tenth plague has consequences for the oppressor and the oppressed. That's something we all must remember. The destroyer, death is coming for all of us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all by nature objects of God's wrath, deserving his just wrath. That's what makes God a good judge. He doesn't let the guilty go free. Paul says this very thing in Romans 3.23. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no matter our nation of origin, no matter our family history, no matter our religiosity, we are all sinners that have fallen short of God's glory, of his perfection. And because of that, we are all in need of salvation and forgiveness of sins. No one is exempt. This is a need for all of us that are sinners. We saw that last week when we looked at the the parable of of the older brother and and the lost son. There are some people, there are some sins, there are some lifestyles that look better to the outside world, but God looks at and he judges the heart, and we are all in need of forgiveness. That's our need. Our sin, the wage of our sin is death. We are all in need of saving, and that is where God steps in and he makes a way in his grace. He made a way for the people on that night through through the sacrifice of a spotless lamb, and he has made a way for us through the ultimate sacrifice, which is the spotless lamb of God, Jesus. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist proclaims this truth, this good news to the world when he sees Jesus. And we read it here. It says, the next day, John, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the next point today, and that is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. For centuries, the Jews had watched lambs be sacrificed for their sins. God was preparing the hearts and their minds for the day that God would communicate his ultimate love for us, which is the Lamb of God, Jesus. Paul says it in Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly, which is you and I. Then he goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. The gospel proclaims to us that God so loved us, he so loved you and I, that he sent Jesus to give his life for us while we were still sinners. And in that, we are reminded of the incredible cost of our sin, but also the incredible grace and love we see in Jesus. Jesus was convicted by a Roman ruler. He was taken by a mob. He was beaten by soldiers. He was nailed to a cross. But make no mistake about it, the reason Jesus died, where he died and when he died, was because of our sin. On the cross, Jesus could have called down thousands of angels to rescue him. But it was his love for you and I that held him to the cross, not the nails. And he stayed on the cross so that he could pay the price, the death that our sin deserves. Perhaps no hymn better communicates this truth, this emotion than the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love. I absolutely love the second verse, and it reads this. It says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. 
Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. For it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. But his dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. It was my sin that held him there. It was because of my sin that he died. It was because of his love for me and you that he willingly did so. Because of Jesus' sacrifice as the spotless Lamb of God, I can experience forgiveness. I can experience eternal life. I can experience a relationship with God. I can know his peace. And I can do all of those things, not because of anything I have done, but all because of what Jesus did for me. The gospel proclaims, I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible proclaims, the wage or the cost of my sin is death. But the good news is that God so loved me and he so loved you that he sent Jesus to live the perfect, sinless life I could not live. And then to die the death my sin deserved. The good news of the gospel of the Bible is that Jesus died in my place. And he didn't just die, but he rose victorious three days later over death. And he offers me and you his sinlessness, his righteousness, his life if we will trust him in faith. If we will trust Jesus and put our faith in him, then the Bible says we will be forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Completely forgiven no matter what our life or past looks like. That's the hope of the Bible. And that's our next point. By faith, my sins can be forgiven. By faith, the wage, the price, the death my sin deserves can be forgiven. I love how Max Anders said this in his commentary on Exodus. He wrote, Jesus' sacrifice can be studied and it can be contemplated, but until a person applied the blood of Christ by faith to his or her own heart, there is no hope for eternity in the presence of heaven. The writer of Hebrews declared, By faith Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. For what did Moses have faith in? The answer is God's word, his, his revelation to Moses. God said it and he believed it. And in the same way, without faith, it is impossible for us to know God. You cannot ignore the truth from God's promises and experience his peace, forgiveness, security, and hope. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God that died on your behalf and my behalf. He did rise victorious over the grave. But we can't experience his sacrifice if we don't follow him in faith. If we don't ask for his forgiveness. If the Hebrews would have killed the lamb but not followed God's instruction by faith and put the blood on the doorpost, then it would have been in vain. They wouldn't have experienced the reward of that sacrifice. It took faith to sprinkle the blood and trust God's promise. In the same way, Jesus has died for your sins, but you must in faith trust him and trust his sacrifice to cover his sins or you will not inherit his forgiveness. You will not inherit his life and eternity with him. It's not enough to just know the story of Jesus. You must trust him with your life to receive his forgiveness. And so as you examine your life, have you ever done that? Have you ever trusted Jesus' sacrifice in faith? Have you ever experienced his forgiveness and his assurance of eternal life? The Bible says you can trust him today with a surrendered heart and he will forgive you of your sins and you can walk forward in confidence in life. 
Paul in Romans 10.9 writes, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says there are no ifs about it. If you in faith trust your life to Jesus, you will be forgiven. So as you examine your life, have you ever experienced that forgiveness in your life? Jesus is worthy. He died the death you deserve because he loves you. And Jesus is not just a meek and quiet lamb. We we know that he rose victorious three days later over death. Revelation tells us he now sits triumphant at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is powerful. He is majestic. He is completely worthy of your trust and your worship. And so will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him today? And so as we respond to the Lamb of God, as we respond to Jesus who gave his life for our sins out of love for us, we're going to do so in two ways today. And the first way we're going to respond is I want to give you a chance to respond in faith and trust Jesus with your life today. And so we're going to do something different than we normally do, but I would ask everyone right now just to bow their heads and close their eyes. This isn't something we always do, but I want to give you a chance to respond in your heart, but also to respond in action today. As we just said, Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so today, as you hear about the Lamb of God, if you hear about Jesus who gave his life for you, and if you examine your heart and you realize, I don't think I have ever followed him with my life today. If you're here today and you say, I am ready to trust him today, I just want you to raise your hand and then we're going to pray. Say, I am ready to trust him today. The thing is, salvation and forgiveness of sins, it's not magic words, but it's a surrendered heart. And so if you're ready, you can pray as you feel led, or you can pray something as simple as this with a surrendered heart. God, I know that I have sinned. God, I know that I have gone my own way and that I have lived for myself and not you. God, I know that the price of my sin is serious and it deserves death and separation from you. But I also know that in your love for me, you sent Jesus to live the sinless life I couldn't live. I know that you sent Jesus to die the death I deserve, and I know that he rose victorious over death three days later. God, I believe that is true. God, would you please forgive me of your sins? I want to know you, and I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. I want to make you Lord, the boss of my life. Thank you for loving me. The Bible says you pray something like that, as simple as that, with a surrendered, genuine, committed heart, you will be forgiven. You will experience the Holy Spirit, and God will begin an incredible work in your life to transform you to be more like him. And so if you did that today, would you tell someone? Would you tell me? Because we'd love to celebrate with you and encourage, and follow up. God, we just thank you that you are God. God, we thank you that despite our sin, that you have made a way. God, we thank you that you loved us while we were still sinners, while we were still running the other way, while we were still wandering, and that in your love, you sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do. You sent Jesus to live the sinless life we couldn't live, and then to die the death we deserved. God, and then, we, then you empowered him to rise victorious over death three days later, and he's living today. 
God, we thank you that you love us that much. And God, I pray for those of us here that are followers of you, God, I pray that you would remind us of the gospel in our hearts, Lord, and that we would celebrate that as we leave today. And God, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you in that way, that hasn't by faith trusted you with their life. God, that you would answer their questions, Lord, that you would give them the, the courage and strength to trust you. And God, we pray that you would ex- they would experience that forgiveness today or in the future. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to be the Lamb of God, our sacrifice. We thank you that he is worthy and that he is great and that he is sinless and that he conquered the grave. That we find our life and our hope in you. In your name we pray, amen. And the second way we're going to respond today is we're going to respond through taking the, the Lord's Supper as we remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. As we said, for centuries, the Passover was and still is remembered by Jews as they celebrate and remember God's provision on that faithful night. In the same way, God has called us to remember Jesus' sacrifice through the partaking of the Lord's Supper or communion. And this is a time to remember and give thanks for what Jesus has done in our lives and to give thanks for the reality that he has forgiven our sins completely. If we have trusted our lives to Jesus, he has forgiven our sins past, present, and future. And it is through Jesus alone that we are forgiven. Now, we don't believe that communion saves us. We believe that's done through faith in Jesus alone. But we do believe it serves as a powerful reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus has paid on our behalf. We also believe, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, that this is a time reserved for followers of Jesus. And so if you're here today and you are unsure about Jesus, you are still searching and looking for answers then we celebrate that, but we would ask you to abstain and and spend this time asking God to reveal himself to you, reflecting on Jesus' life and death, and considering whether or not you are ready to trust him with your life. So in just a second, I'm going to pray for us. Emily's going to come, and she's going to play. And then after I pray for us, I just ask you to spend some time in prayer, just giving thanks to Jesus for what he has done on your behalf. Spend some time examining your hearts and and your life and asking God to reveal sin in your life and then spend some time repenting of those areas where where he reveals. And then when you're ready up on this table, you can come and you can grab the cup and the bread. It's all in one. It's confusing, but we'll unpack it together. We'll figure it out. Uh, And then you can take that back to your seat. And then when everyone has come, I will uh, pray for us and we'll take some time uh, to take communion together. But first, let me pray for us. God, again, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your love that sent Jesus to die on our behalf. God, we thank you that he is worthy of our praise and he is worthy of our lives. God, I pray in these next few moments as we just spend a few minutes reflecting and talking to you, God, I pray that you would just remind us afresh of who we are in you, Lord, that we would celebrate the gospel in our lives. God, I pray that you would reveal those areas to us where where we are not trusting you, where we are not uh, living in faith, Lord, and you would give us the courage to repent and trust all of our life to you. God, I just pray that you would bless this time, Lord, as we celebrate and remember who you are as the Lamb of God. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.
This is the complicated part. If you can find like the thin piece, your wafer will be on the top. Let me pull that off. Uh, Paul writes, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that you sent Jesus. God, we thank you that he willingly went to the cross, Lord, and that he gave his body as the price for my sin. God, we thank you that he, that he went to the cross, Lord, and he stayed out of his love for us until the work was accomplished. God, we thank you that in him we can know our sins are forgiven and that they are forgiven completely. It's your name we pray. Amen. Paul continues, in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, again, we thank you that Jesus came and he lived the life we couldn't live and that he died the death we deserve. We thank you that his blood covers our hearts so that we can be forgiven, so that we do not have to, to experience that wage or the death that we so rightly deserve. We thank you that in Jesus we are forgiven, that we are given his righteousness and his forgiveness and eternal life. God, I pray that as we go out of these doors today and this week, Lord, that you would help us to live in the reality that we are forgiven, that we are yours, that we have your hope. God, and that we would shine and show that hope and that light to those around us. God, may you send us out. May you remind us afresh of who we are in you. And may we live in that reality. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for celebrating uh, with us who Jesus is and, and what he has done in our lives. I have just a, a few announcements for you. If you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you don't mind filling that out and placing it in that uh, wood box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. It's also where you place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, and then two, uh, two announcements. We have one more week of snow cones and popcorn down at the soccer fields. We're doing it Tuesday and Thursday night. If you'd like to come and help us with that, there's a sign-up sheet on the back table, or you can just show up at 530, 545-ish, uh, and we will uh, make it happen. It's always a lot of fun, but we would love uh, your help with that. And then secondly, we have baptisms next Sunday, uh, August 21st. Um, if you're interested uh, in joining that next Sunday, come and talk with me. Or if you'd like to set up another date, uh, we can do that any Sunday that works for you. But if you're interested in that, come and talk to me. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. We hope you have a wonderful week. We hope those of you starting school have a great first day and a great first week. Uh, and we hope to see you back here next Sunday. You are dismissed.